May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There is this video, as they say, going viral on the internet right now of this young Russian boy. He seems to be about 16 years old. And he climbs up onto this crane. He goes up about a thousand feet in the air, just walking without any safety harness or, or rope or any sort of special equipment, just a boy in sneakers climbing up on top of this crane. Not only does he climb up on it, once he gets up there, he starts skipping on it. And then he's walking on part of it that's about as you know big around maybe as a, a four-inch band of steel, and he's walking like a tightrope up higher and higher and higher. Presumably somebody else is up there with him because there is a video of it and you can see the cars that look like little matchbox cars way down below. Then he hangs off. He gets to this one part and he hangs off of it. So he's just hanging by his arms and he starts doing pull-ups. And then you gasp as you watch him let go and do pull-ups with one arm a thousand feet above the city streets. I mean, it is terrifying to see this. I mean, and you can tell this isn't this boy's first rodeo. He's been climbing stuff for a while, you know, and he's, he's very, you know, he's physically fit. He's unquestionably, you know, filled with youthful bravado, but he's stupid. I mean, it's, it's just not right. It's crazy what he's doing, hanging way up here over top of this stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, un, it's insane to hang out there and to to try to do stuff like this. I get the idea that people enjoy sort of thrilling adventure. I mean, that makes sense to me. I understand that. Um, There are a lot of activities that kind of bring a similar thrill, not quite that extreme. I mean, scuba diving and parasailing and mountain bike riding and rock climbing and even surfboarding motorcycle riding, you know, lots of things that people do that give them a little bit of a thrill, a little excitement. But there's a line, isn't there? A line between the thrilling and the insane. You know, between the the reasonable and the absolutely unreasonable. And it seems like more and more that people feel like they need to up the ante. It's not enough, you know. I mean, it, to bungee jump or, you know, climb a higher mountain or whatever. And, and I'm really fearful that videos of kids climbing cranes are going to turn into videos of kids falling from cranes. That there's going to be, you know, this kind of rash of, of accidents that happen. I, I looked down at the comment section. If you ever watch the videos and there's little comments down below, here's some of the ones that I saw. This kid is crazy. He's probably going to be responsible for many tragic deaths, if not his own. Yeah. Wow, this is crazy. Another person wrote, wrote, uh, wrote, I thought for sure he was going to fall. And then perhaps the most telling of all, someone wrote this. You really do have to question the mental stability of people who do stuff like this. Absolutely. Absolutely have to question it. I think the saddest part, though, is that there are some people for whom life would have no thrill if they're not dangling off some precipice or bungee jumping off of something or, or going off, you know, scuba diving with great white sharks. But there's the other side. Have you ever thought about how necessary it is for people to be kind of the daredevil types? How we need people who can push past the fears that most of us have. 
Have you ever been driving down the road, for instance, and you see that really tall tower, that radio tower, those little thin radio towers, and at the top there's the red blinking light? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder who changes the light bulb on that red blinking light at the top? (laughs) You've probably said it's not Joe Boisel. I know that. Um, Who is going to climb that tower and change the light bulb? Or you're in an old theater, you know, big vaulted ceiling, in a church with flying buttresses. You see a skyscraper in New York or Chicago. Has it ever crossed your mind? I wonder who built those things. I wonder who washes the windows. Uh, once again, I know who it's not, but I, somebody has to do those things, don't they? I, I kind of wonder about the kid up on the crane. I mean, did he like change a light bulb? Did he do anything useful while he was up there? Probably not. We need people who will risk life and injury. What's more, there are the enjoyable sort of exciting things that sometimes almost border on the insane, or at least are a little bit more dangerous than we're used to. Um, If we didn't do some of them, we would miss a great event in life, a a real treat. I don't mean petting lions, um, but I mean maybe getting close enough to see them. Uh, about 10 years ago, first trip to Africa, um, and when I was there, we, uh, we were in Kruger National Park in South Africa. If you ever get a chance to go, you have to do this. It's a fantastic uh, park, and you just drive through, and it's Africa in the wild. And they have these little compounds that are surrounded by 12-foot-tall electrified fences. And you're safe inside the compound. Um, but outside the compound, not so much. You know? and, and I remember one time when we were there, we, we were going to go out on a night safari. Only about half the group thought it was safe enough to do. The other half of us were crazy enough to try it. And before we got on the truck, I can't, uh, it was a, um, like a flatbed truck with this uh, sort of like, um, like stadium seating in the back of it. It had a canvas top over top of it. A, a type of canvas I don't think would have stood up to claws, you know. I, I don't know, but I don't think it would have. Anyway, but we're going out at night, and, um, and before we get on the truck, there was a, a man standing there with a clipboard, and he had these forms that you had to sign. You, you, you've seen this form? The form that says that you may die as a result of this adventure and your family cannot sue the park or anything like that, you know. And, and so we all signed and got on. And, uh, and we're out driving through the, through the kind of bush country at night. Big spotlight, you know, we would drive a little bit, spotlight. And we pull up towards this tree and all of a sudden out in front of us jumped a leopard. I mean, a full-grown leopard, you know. I couldn't help but to think if he had waited about 20 seconds, he could have landed right on top of us, but he didn't. He jumped out in front of us, and we stopped. And for like a half an hour, we got to see this leopard in the wild, you know, stalking back and forth, telling us not to get any closer. We drove on a little bit further, and there was this herd of, of, of elephant. And a mama elephant decided she wanted to tell us not to get any closer to her babies. She sticks out her trumpet and starts running at us. And I'm thinking, oh no, please stop. And she did, you know, and turned around. The guide had this gun up on the front, on the dashboard, that I'm sure was previously mounted to a a, a destroyer, you know. It was so big, I've never seen a gun like this. What a fantastic adventure. If I had not signed the form and gotten on the bus, you know, and, and rode out into the dark of, of, of the night in the African wild, I never would have seen these things. And so I was that close and could have, you know, not enjoyed it. There's a line. You know, I don't know. It's different for every person, right? 
a line between the reasonable and the unreasonable, between the, um, the thrill and the insane. And crossing the line is wrong. We shouldn't do that. But every now and then, I think maybe we need to walk right up to the line. And in some way, that's what the prophet Isaiah is writing about in the Old Testament lesson. A little history, just to kind of quickly catch you up to where we are in the, in the, in the book. Um, Israel had this relationship with God. And God says to Israel, if you'll live in the relationship under the, the conditions that I set forth, your life will be filled with blessing. You'll, you'll enjoy many great things. You'll be blessed in the city and in the country and everywhere else. Your family and in your fields. Life is going to be grand. You know the stipulations to the covenant, don't you? Ten of them. The commandments. Live by these commandments. And life will be good and rich. But if you don't, you will find pain. You will find um, nations will overtake you. You will find you will find suffering in your homes and in your fields and, and, and all the places where you could have found blessing. And you know, of course, the history of Israel. For a while they were faithful and then they were not. And sometimes they would return, but most of the time they would not. They would want to be like their pagan neighbors. They began to dabble with idolatry. And they began to, to, you know, to throw off the first two commandments, and pretty soon all the rest fell in place after that. They began to jettison their, their commitment to God, and it wasn't long until God sent prophets. And the prophets had the same message over and over. Stop. Turn around. Repent. Come back. Don't do this. Remember the covenant that God established with you. Their second message was, if you don't, you'll be destroyed. God is saying through the prophets, I will allow the other nations to destroy you. They'll level you flat. And you know what happened, right? Exactly as God said. The Assyrians destroyed the northern part of Israel. The Babylonians, a hundred years later, come in and they destroy the southern part of Israel. Including the city of Jerusalem, burning the temple to the ground. It was chaos. And they took the people who survived. After murdering or killing off all the, the, the army, all the soldiers, they took the remaining people and they took them into exile. They marched them 500 miles away from their home and planted them in ghettos in what is today modern Baghdad. Moving them into exile. And this is the message of the prophets. They kept coming back, repent, repent, repent. And if you don't, God will destroy you. And, and they were, but the prophets kept coming even after that. They had a third message. It began with, see, I told you so. Um, by the way, I think that's what I want on my tombstone, you know. I told you I was sick, you know, so that when people come, <laughs> I thought that was good. Anyway, they, 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 see, I told you so, but there was a follow-up to them at that message. Did you get that one, Damon? Did you? I thought it was good. Anyway, there's a follow-up to the message, not only, see, I told you so, but it's this, I haven't given up on you. I'm not done with you. To Jews living in exile in Babylon, I'm not done with you. A message of hope. Listen, this wasn't in the, it wasn't in the, the, the lesson for today, but the beginning part of chapter 44 says this. But hear now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not. Why? For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing upon your descendants. Israel, you have a future. 
Israel living in exile, Israel having been destroyed, Israel having been removed from their homes, their land, everything taken from them. You have a future. Now imagine yourself an Israelite living in exile. You know, everything that you had is gone. The treasury has been destroyed. You have no wealth. You have no home. You have no property. You have nothing. And you look around and you see Babylonians, your captors, who are living well, you know? They seem strong. They have an army. You have no army. They have homes. You have, you know, a shack. They have wealth that used to be yours. You have nothing. They have a monarchy and you have no king. And you might be tempted to say, well, I don't know if God can really come through. I mean, look at the situation we're in. And that's the context. That's what God is saying. That's what Isaiah is saying in, in, in the lesson today. Will you look at it with me in, in the bulletin? Look at this passage. The very beginning, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. I am the king, God is saying. Right? You, I don't want you looking to human leaders. I know there's nobody around who looks like they can be the one to deliver you. But guess what? I don't want you looking to them. I want you to look up. I know it looks like you have nothing. I know it looks like you're powerless and weak and pitiful. But that's not the, you're not to look at yourselves. Look to me. I'm the one who helps. I'm the first and the last. You should hear echoes here. Do you hear echoes from, from John's revelation? Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. I, Jesus is picking up right here from Isaiah 44. I'm the first and the last. And then this rhetorical question. God is speaking. And he says, who is like me? Who's like me? Oh, you know the answer, don't you? You're way ahead of me on this. No one. No one is like our God. No one can thwart His plans. No one can do or undo what He wants done. He stands alone in all of history. Look, this message came to beleaguered Jews in exile. People who thought they had no reason for hope. And sometimes in our own lives, we can get in those same sorts of moments. We can be beleaguered people too. Sometimes we can become, in a moment, uh, in a fog of despair. Now maybe you say, well, hey, things are pretty good right now. Well, I'm glad. I really am thrilled for you. But it may not always be the case. In fact, I can almost promise you there's going to be a time where hope seems diminished. This message says to us that God doesn't give up on His people. He doesn't cast us aside. Oh, there are times where he will strike us with a rod of correction. But if any of you have ever had children, you know that that is a loving thing to do. It is not a cruel thing to do. That he'll strike us with a rod of correction to save us, to bring us back to him, not to, not to cast us aside. God does not give up on his people. He does not give up on me, and he is not going to give up on you. And who can stand against Him? Who's powerful enough to stand against our God? And if He is for us, who can be against us? I sort of began this this sermon this morning talking about people who do crazy things, right? 
And then there are some people who do things that seem, you know, just, just right up to the line. A little dangerous. I think perhaps nothing can be more frightening, uh, more sort of spine-chilling, more anxiety-ridden than this. To trust one's whole life to God. I give you absolutely everything because I trust you. See, we want to hold on. Hold on. Be our own God. Be in charge. That way we can control things. I, sometimes I fly in an airplane and I always wish I could be up front. I don't know what I would do up there, do you know? Like, I, I don't know what they're doing. You know? I would be the last person who should be up front. But, you know, I just want to see. Where are we going? What are you looking at? I want to be in control. Here's walking up to the edge and saying, God, I give you everything. It might be frightening, but I think it's one of the best things that we can do with our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.